Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, in case I haven't spoken to you since Christmas time, or, or the last time I spoke was before Christmas. I do want to wish you a very Merry Christmas as well, and hope that was a blessed time. And, and believing that 2024, as Edwina prays, is going to be great. But I can't believe, I don't know about you, but I cannot believe we're here at New Year's Eve. Again, um, I don't know, but do you find it interesting that Futano 40 only gets interviewed once a year? You know, who, who am I talking about when I say Futano 40? Foti, Foti, that's it. Fortunato. That's the way you pronounce it? Does anyone know who that guy is? Pyrotechnic guy. He's the guy who sets up all the fireworks on the Harbour Bridge every year around around the harbour. Interesting. Only happens once a year. Only happens once a year we get to see him and he usually does something incredibly spectacular thing and I believe that this year will be no different from that. I hope you stay up and watch the fireworks. I don't know if we will. But we'll see how it goes. <laughs> see how it goes. But I can't believe we're here at another New Year's Eve. Like Edwina prayed before, like 2023 has been an incredible year for many of us. 2023 has been a fantastic year, perhaps the best of years for some of us. Others of us, it hasn't been great at all. And if we're honest, we can't wait to see the end of 2023. We want to see, we look forward to what 2024 may bring. And so, but many of us, though, um, think, well, okay, if we're thinking about what 2024 may bring, how will it actually be a better year for us? If we're hoping for it to be a better year, how will it be a better year for us? Well, this will inevitably cause us to many of us to turn to our resolutions about thinking, how can I be better next year? How can things be better? And that's exactly right. A lot of times what we think about a better year is actually thinking about a better us. You know, a wealthier us, a less stressed us, a less busy us, a, um, a, a, a more balanced me, a more equipped me, a more um, happier me. Because if I am any of those things, then that will mean that ultimately 2024 is going to be a better year for me, for you, for us. But we know, don't we, for us to actually experience that in 2023, 2024, sorry, where that ultimately, for us to be that type of person where things are better for us, then we know that's actually going to take a whole lot of resolve. And so we inevitably turn to our resolutions. What resolutions are you making for 2024? Some of us may have already gone there. We're already started thinking about our resolutions. Some of us think, Troy, I've got 14 hours to go before midnight. I've got plenty of time. Some of us go, I can do that in 15 minutes. I'm going to do that at 11.45 tonight. Maybe if that's you, then maybe your resolution may be not leaving things to the last minute. So that may be <laughs> what you need to do next year. Now, but what I wanted to do today is actually get you to consider something better and something bigger than simply how can I be a better me next year? I want you to think about this. This is what we're going to talk about. This question is not simply for 2024, but in fact, it could be for all the rest of your life because this answer to this question actually can, um, can influence the rest of your life and in fact, see you come into all the potential that you have as well as for you to become the best version of yourself. So today, I want us to do something a little bit different. I want to read to you an entire chapter from 
the Bible, an entire chapter of Scripture. And so if you're not a Bible person or a God person here today, this is going to be still something of interest to you because what I want to read to you today is a chapter from the Old Testament book called Nehemiah. And Nehemiah is an interesting book. And if you've got your Bibles or you've got your devices here, you might want to read along with me as we go through. It's going to be up there on the screen. But Nehemiah is interesting because it is all about history. You'll find that in the book of Nehemiah, there's no miracles. But it's actually a book that reflects about the issue of hard work, of discipline and of vision. Things that actually go into the resolutions that you make in your, at the end of each year looking forward into the next year. Hard work, discipline and vision. And so we're going to have a look at this chapter one of Nehemiah. But just some quick background to that chapter before we start looking into it. What is happening is that the Jewish people were God's chosen people for thousands of years and God had been with them and been helping them for all that time. They were God's chosen people and established a special relationship with them. But generation after generation, what had happened is that the Jewish people started thinking, forgetting about God altogether. They started to think, oh, we don't really need God. And so they started rejecting him from the center of their lives, started relegating God out of society, out of their culture altogether. And God had basically had enough of it. Is that how they're going to treat me? Fine. What I'm going to do, God says, is I'm going to remove my hand of protection from, from them. And then hopefully they'll realize how far they've drifted away from me. And hopefully they'll realize how much they need me and they will come back. But it's in this season of where God had removed his protective covering from them that something profound happened. Some prevailing empires in that local area, the Assyrian Empire and then the Babylonians, they came in and conquered the two Jewish kingdoms, the Israel kingdom in the north, Judah in the south. And it's in that period around 600 BC, which is all history, Something incredibly profound happened. The Babylonians came in, conquered Jerusalem, and then basically shipped tens of thousands of the Jewish people out of Judah in particular, the southern kingdom, and sent them to actually the capital cities in the east, cities that we now know to reside in the countries of Iran and Iraq. So in the midst of this exile, the Jewish, the Jew Nehemiah, was now living and working in the Persian capital of Susa, about 1,500 kilometres away from his home in Jerusalem, a home that now lays in ruins. And so his beloved city and his, and it's his people have been decimated because of the impact of the Assyrians first and then the Babylonians. But Nehemiah was about to do something that would see his city and the people be restored. And this is where we're going to pick up the story to have a look and see what happens in Nehemiah. And so from Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1, this is how the story goes. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. 
They said to me, those who have survived the exile are back in the province, are, are in great trouble and disgrace. The walls of Jerusalem are broken down. Its gates have been burnt with fire. The meaning of that is that the city is unprotected. The people are very vulnerable and they're stressed out of their brain because ultimately they feel like somebody could come and attack them and kill them at any point. And so they're in, they're in great trouble and disgrace. Now, when I heard these things, Nehemiah said, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his commandments of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands and decrees and laws that that you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instructions you gave your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to a place I have chosen as a dwelling place for my name. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favour in the presence of this man. And then he finishes off the chapter with saying, I was cupbearer to the king. Now, from this passage, can you see what the bigger, what the better question is for you for the year ahead? Did you see it? Now, in case you missed it, it was in fact referred to us by in a question, but rather it is the actions of Nehemiah which ask questions of each of us. You see, when Nehemiah heard about the state of his home, God's sacred city, Jerusalem, he wept and he mourned. You know, the news of the state of the city and the state of his people had broke his heart. And so here's the question that Nehemiah asks of each of us. And that is, what around you breaks your heart? What do you see or hear around the church, around our local community around our city, around Australia, that causes you to be heartbroken about the people and about where they live in Australia. Surely our hearts are not so hard that our hearts don't break for something. What's it on the news that causes you to go, oh my goodness, I can't believe that those people are experiencing that. I can't believe they're going through that. What breaks your heart? Surely something has to penetrate our hearts these days. For when your heart breaks, that's God trying to highlight an issue to you about something in his world that he mourns over. See, what is that for you? When you look around at kids and teenagers... When you look around at marriages, when you look around 
at disability and lack of opportunity, when you look around at poverty and disadvantage, when you look around at depression, see depression and isolation and loneliness and many, many other things. What does your heart break for? The way that Nehemiah's heart broke for the people of Jerusalem. What is that for you? See, here's the New Year's Eve thing. If you want to be a better person in 2024, then instead of simply thinking about gym memberships and diets and self-improvement courses, why not make the world a better? You know, instead of a resolution about making me better, why not consider, why not having a resolution or being resolved to making the world better instead? Instead of making you better, how about making the world better? See, this is where God's vision for us as a church will change your life. Hopefully you remember our vision. In case you can't, just cast your eyes over there to the right. Again, what's our vision again? Northwest Sydney be engaged and transformed with the faith, hope and love of Jesus. Everything about God's vision for us is about seeing our community and our world be better, be different. See, God's vision for us is not about the resolutions for us to be the ideal weight or to get rid of credit card debt. Now, I'm all for your ideal weight. I know I've got to address that issue. Oh, it's there, baby. It's there. You may notice the, lo- the lower button's not done up, and that's for a reason for that. Otherwise, it's going to fly off really quickly, so I leave the button open. I've got to address that issue. I'm all for ideal weight and getting rid of personal debt. But is that what inspires your heart? See, the thing that really inspires us as people is having understanding how the world can be different. Don't we like hearing stories about people who have changed the world? Aren't those the type of stories? Aren't those the type of people that we want to emulate? Because we know deep down inside it's not about ideal weights and it's not about our credit scores. It's about making the world different. That's what excites our heart. That's what speaks into our heart at a deepest level. Now, you don't need to be a Christian to make the world better. And in the process, you yourself becoming better as well. But if you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are compelled, aren't you, to make the world better, to make the world different from the way it is today. We are compelled. Christians can't help but make the world better. It's part of who we are. And so our intention is to make the world better. And it has then something more to do than simply doing things for ourselves. See, a lot of the time, what we might not realise is that maybe our New Year's resolutions usually don't take because usually we're making resolutions about the wrong things. You see, the essence of following Jesus is about self-denial rather than self-improvement. And nearly all of our New Year's resolutions usually focus around self-improvement, don't they? But yet Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. 
You see, we may, may, may be making a resolution tonight about giving up and denying ourselves carbs or sugar or chocolate. That won't be a bit hard for me. Or television or something that's going to benefit us. But instead, will we deny ourselves something of our time, something of our energy, something of our money for the things of Jesus? Jesus is all about seeing transformation take place and it is in denying yourself and instead using those things for the kingdom that ultimately is our cross. And it is when we take up our cross that the world becomes different. The world becomes better. Now let's assume for a moment that our hearts are in fact soft here this morning. That we haven't come in here this morning hard-hearted. That our hearts have already soft towards God. And so we know from the news reports and Facebook and from movies and television shows and the stories of people and people that we have met, we know what God has been prompting in our hearts. He knows what he's, he's, been, uh, he's, he's been prompting us about, about the state of his world that he loves so much. We already may know what that is. I mean, God may have been poking you about that for some time. God's been poking me about something in more recent times and I'm seeking him about that for, for me, myself, and perhaps for us as a church. But what do we do once we know that our heart breaks for something? What do we do? Well, within the story of Nehemiah, we see about how we go, how we go about resolving, not simply for self-improvement, but for world improvement. And so this is what we find within the context of Nehemiah chapter 1 about what we can do next. The first thing that we can do next after we know that our hearts are broken about something is this. First of all, we can find out all you can about what your heartbreak area actually is. In verse 2 of Nehemiah chapter 1, he says, One of my brothers came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. You know, so many times we may know what God has laid on our heart, what he breaks our hearts over, but then we go and think, that seems way too big for me. I can't do anything about this. It all seems way too big. And so we don't really progress much past, oh, there's something happening in my heart, but I can't do anything about that. Follow Nehemiah's example. Ask questions. Who do you need to talk to to find out more about the area that your heart breaks over? Do you need to go and talk to Centrelink, your local parliamentarian? Do you need to come and talk to me or somebody else? Who can you go and talk to to find out more about the area that your heart breaks over? Go and talk to them and ask questions, find out more. You see, when we don't ask questions, we'll assume that it's all just too big. And what help can I bring to actually make the situation different? And so we assume a whole lot of stuff and things don't ever usually progress past, oh, I feel bad about that. Somebody should do something about that, but I just don't know what, so I just don't do anything. 
ask questions. One of the big themes throughout our entire year as a church, if you've been a regular part of our church, you know the theme of this year in many regards is about asking questions. If you ask questions, you can engage with people and engage in situations for you to find out more and find out what part you can play in the situation that your heart breaks for. That's the first thing that Nehemiah did. But then Nehemiah goes into, in chapter 1, he goes into a big part of prayer. And so what he did with Annie, he reminded himself, and so we have to remind ourselves of what is possible with God. Now, God has done some pretty amazing things in our midst this year, and I reckon that he's on the verge of doing some even more incredible things in 2024. Nothing is impossible for God, even for when we think it's way too big. God can do some incredible things nonetheless. And as been mentioned a number of times this year, when it comes to transformation, when things are becoming radically different, we ourselves can't do that. We can engage people, but it's only Jesus who can transform. So to make the world different, we can't do that in our own strength. No matter how good our hearts may be, we can't do it in our strength. We need God. And so that's why Nehemiah prays this. He says this up on the screen now. He says, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who kept, he keeps his commandment of love and with those who love him and keep his commandments. A New Testament version of this prayer is what Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Nehemiah here is acknowledging the importance and the need and the wonder and the majesty and the power of God. See, if you want to make a resolution to make the world different in 2024, you have to make this resolution in God's strength, not merely your willpower. We need to have faith in what is possible with God. It is God who ultimately puts things right. It is God who transforms. God uses our hearts and our hands to see people and situations be positioned for God to do radical things in it. So we have a part to play, but it's ultimately God who sets things right. And it is through his faithfulness. It is through his power. It is through his continuous love for people everywhere that that actually occurs. So we have to acknowledge God in the midst of our heartbreak area to see things be different from where they are today. So we need to acknowledge that just as Jesus taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer. But we then come and we see in Nehemiah about, well, how often do we pray about this stuff? You see, what we have to recognise is that we've got to pray continuously. See, it's one thing to remind us about God's power. But how often do we need to be reminded of that particular reality? How often do we need to be praying about the situation that breaks our heart? Well, in Nehemiah's situation, this is what he says. Look at his prayer. He says, let your ear, God, be attentive and your eyes open to the prayer of your servant. He's praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. For the things that break your heart, how often do you honestly pray about that stuff? When your heart breaks, when God moves within you and he speaks into your heart, how often do you pray about that if you're honest? Once a year when a message like this comes up or the occasional news segment that occurs? You know, the thing is that the thing to avoid 
the situation breaking your heart, simply going into the background noise of your life, the way you keep it front and centre is by continually praying about it, just as Nehemiah did, praying about it day and night. We're regularly praying about it. Make sure it doesn't become just an issue that gets lost. We pray about it all the time. So we're bringing before God the importance of that issue to us because of an important issue to him. So based on Nehemiah, we need to pray continuously about that issue. But then we need to do something else that's a little bit weird. Weird maybe not even the best word. We need to confess our part in the issue. Now, this is an aspect we may have never considered before. We want to see things be different. But how often will we actually acknowledge our part, as small as that may be, how often will we acknowledge our part in why the situation is like it is in the first place? Look what Nehemiah prayed at one point. He says, I confess, God, the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees and laws that you gave your servant Moses. See, what we have to recognise is saying, Nehemiah saying this prayer when he's living in Susa, away from his home in Jerusalem. The reason why he's there is because the whole Jewish people had forgotten about God and therefore they were exiled as a result of the Babylonians and the Assyrians. Now, Nehemiah is not responsible for everybody being deported out of the country, but he had a part to play. He had forgotten about God. His father's family had forgotten about God, not followed God as closely as God wanted him to. And as a result, they're all exiled. So here's Nehemiah coming and actually acknowledging and confessing and repenting for his part in why they're all exiled. See, do we need to actually admit and confess where we perhaps have contributed to the state of the situation? Do we need to repent of where we have perpetuated the problem? Do we need to confess that we haven't done anything or done what we could have to make the situation different? I mean, for example, if God has shown us, convicted, convicted us about people's isolation and loneliness, have we actually gone to welcome somebody, call somebody, visited somebody? Or have we just sat down and said, well, you know what, somebody should do something about that. And that's the extent of our action. You know, somebody else should do, somebody should do something about that. It's pretty important. If you're a regular part of our church family, then hopefully you're already subscribed to our weekly e-news. It gives you a weekly update about what's happening in the life of the church. If you're not subscribed to that, please come and see me afterwards and I'll make sure that you're subscribed. But if you are subscribed to e-news, and hopefully over the last few weeks you've noticed that a part of e-news has been uh, the uh, advertisement about the Good Man Project. Anyone know what that is? Hopefully you've read it in e-news. The Good News Project is trying to encourage good men, of which many are in this church. I like to think all the men in our church are good men. But effectively what it is, it's getting good men to come in and try to address the issue of violence against women. I don't know about you, but have you heard the stats about how many women have died at the hands of loved ones in their family this year? 
It is horrific. And it gets to the point where you say, you know what, when it comes to violence against women, somebody should do something about that. Now, we may ourselves, we may not have committed violence. We guys may not have committed violence against women in our lives. But have we done all that we can to address the problem? Or we just sit back going, you know, somebody should do something about that. See, we need to confess. We need to repent of our inactivity towards the issue that God has laid upon our heart that is breaking. We need to confess our part in the situation not being better than what it is. And then the final, final thing that we see from Nehemiah here is that we need to pray for opportunity. You see, this is where the conviction about an issue and desire for the future to be different actually turns into actual change. In his particular situation, Nehemiah prays, he says, Give your servant success today by granting him favour in the presence of this man. Now, Nehemiah prayed for opportunity to raise the issue with somebody who could actually do something, who could actually help. And so Nehemiah was coming before God saying, God, I'm going to go and have a meeting with my boss, King Artaxerxes. And I want to raise the issue with him about why my heart is breaking. And so grant me favour, grant me success when I raise this with my boss, the guy who could do something about it. See, if you want to make the world different, you need to pray for interactions with influential people. Pray for opportunities to connect with somebody who's going to be able to help the situation that's breaking your heart. See, things don't change simply because we desire them to. They change because we actually do something. So pray for those opportunities for something to happen. Pray for opportunity. Now that's contained within the prayer of Nehemiah. But then finally, something at the last little bit of the, of these, of the chapter, something else significant occurs that we must take note of. And that is we need to recognise that you already have some influence. And the last thing that Nehemiah writes in his chapter, he says this, I was a cupbearer to the king. Now, Nehemiah recognised that he was not the king. He recognised he wasn't one of the governors or leaders that had been appointed to, to oversee the operation of the Persian Empire. Nehemiah was simply a lowly cupbearer. Now, if you know what a cupbearer does, a cupbearer took his life into his own hands every single day because what his role was, he was to taste the wine before he gave it to the king. Because a lot of times wine was poisoned and that's how you got rid of the people of influence. The king's things like you poisoned them. And so Nehemiah as cupbearer, he would taste it first to make sure that's okay. If he keeled over, then the king goes, I'm not going to drink that wine. Makes pretty sense. Pretty like it makes a lot of sense. And so he was a lowly cupbearer. But the interesting thing is, Nehemiah knew that he didn't have the power, but he was in proximity to power. And so he used what he had. He used the relationship that he had developed with the king. He used the trust that had been developed. He used who he was and the role that he had and the relationship that he established with Artaxerxes to be able to bring the issue before him, somebody who could actually do something more than what he could. Now, many of us here today, we aren't 
the ones who are going to do a whole lot of changing because we don't have the resources. We don't have the influence. But what it means is saying, I'm going to bring what I have. I'm going to bring who I am to the situation to connect with somebody who will help to make the situation different. I'm going to bring who I am as lowly as it may be to see about making the world different. See, these are the six things that we learn about Nehemiah, about making the world different. So as you think about the year ahead, and you think about all the ways that you want 2024 to be different, are you more focused on self-improvement or world improvement next year? Next year, are you more concerned about changing you or changing the community in which you live? Are you thinking more about you being better or your church being better in 2024? Are you thinking more about your vision for your life or God's vision for our community? So as we come to another New Year's Eve, as I mentioned before, instead of a resolution about making me better, why not resolve to making the world better (laughs) instead? And how do you do that? Simply beyond trying to make your marriage or your family better, as important as that may be. There's more people in the world than simply the people in your marriage, people who bear the same name as you. How are you going to make the world different? See, why not resolve to do that? And so this time next year, we may see just how much better we are because of how much better the world is as a result of our contribution, our resolution to making the world better than what it is today. Now, considering the implications of what I've been talking about this morning, we're going to do something a little bit different now. John and Sally, if you can start handing out something to you, uh, to everybody now, please, that would be great. What you're about to get is you're about to get a little bit of a, a leaflet. It's from a small one. It's printed on both sides. One side is actually shows you the summary of the six points of from we learned from Nehemiah chapter 1. But on the reverse side, there's something else. On the reverse side, there is an opportunity for you to write out what you're going to resolve to make the world better in 2024. This is your opportunity. I'm sure that God has been speaking into the hearts of many of us here this morning about what we can do to make the world better in 2024. And so what I want to do is for you to take a few moments. We're going to have an extended time of just background music and you to reflect upon this. And I want you to write out how can you make your world better in 2024. And so there's space for you on the reverse side for you to write out what you're resolving to do. But then also there's a space down the bottom for you to write out a brief prayer, perhaps modelled on what the prayer of Nehemiah in chapter 1 for you to pray to God about what you're hoping to see happen in your world to be different and better next year. Now, we've got a couple of writing stations set up here. If you, if you don't want to write in your chair where you are sitting at the moment, please come out to these tables here. Through the door in the other room there, there's a whole lot of other tables set up. Please take advantage of that if you're not able to do that in write in your seat this morning but would love everybody to be able to write out something about what you're resolving to make the world better next year. But in this, 
there's something that we want, I want you to do. So, so before you start thinking about that, what I want to do is think, so after you spend about 10 minutes thinking about that, we are to go and place it in the cross, which is just over there near the door. There's a little uh, hole, square holes there where you can roll it up and place it there because what we want to do is saying that resolution you're writing, that is going to be your vow to God for 2024 about how you're going to make the world different. Now, no one's going to read it. This is confidential between you and God. And so I want you to write it out and then go and put it in the cross. But before you get to the cross, I want you to go to the communion table. Because what we recognise is that the communion table, the emblems of Jesus' sacrifice, is a display of how much of the extent that God has gone to when he has seen the state of our lives and how his heart broke for us and the actions that he took to see you be different than where you are today as a result of something that Jesus did. And so I want you to spend about 10 minutes writing out your resolution, writing out your brief prayer, then going to the communion table. There's gluten-free crackers there as well for anyone who needs that. But take the bread or the cracker, dip it in the juice, pause to remember what Jesus has done for you on the cross and then take your resolution over and place it in the cross itself. What we have to recognise to make the world different that's going to cost us. This is what the prophet Isaiah says is going to cost Jesus, going to cost God our Father as a result of him trying to put things different for us. This is what Isaiah writes. He says, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, the punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we were healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. For things to be different, it's going to cost. That's what it cost God through his action over his heartbreak area about you. God, we thank you so much that this morning we could come and remember exactly to what extent you went to, to act on our behalf, to act on things that were breaking your heart as you thought about us and the lives that we had been living, that we have lived, that we are living now and, and will live in the future. Lord God, your heart broke as you thought about each of us. And so you sent Jesus as our saviour, to take away the sin of the world, our sin, the world's sin, by his death on the cross. We remember that now in taking the emblems of communion, about the fact that we are now people who are forgiven and that people who have found peace with you. You acted out of your heartbreak. And I ask, Lord God, now that we may respond to you from your actions towards us by acting as well about what you've laid upon our hearts, about what breaks our heart, because what breaks our heart is a result of what breaks your heart in this world. And so, Lord God, help us to resolve that in 2024, we may 
see the world be different in each of those areas that our heart breaks in. Who knows how we together, how we may individually make, see the world be a better place next year as a result of you working through us in those particular situations. Lord, I want to thank you for the challenge you laid down to each of us today about not simply making us better, but making the world better. Lord, I, I want to believe right now that there are people listening to my voice who are resolved to acting upon what you have, have, have spoken to us today through your servant, Nehemiah. And Lord, for those of us who are unsure, grant us courage to engage with this issue. Grant us courage to engage with you so that ultimately we get to know about you and your kingdom in greater ways than we do today. Lord, I want to pray that you may use every single one of us in profound ways next year to see your kingdom come and to see your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I thank you for 2023 and we thank you in advance for what we will see unfold in 2024. I ask, Lord God, for your protection over everybody listening to my voice right now and for those that we may love. Lord, I want to ask for your blessing upon each of these people and may we turn to you in greater ways. May we allow you into our lives in greater ways. May we become more like Jesus. Next year we ask. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.